he talks about, you know, the reward center in the brain, you know, that gets lit up when you do something that you like. And, you know, they, they were just sort of mapping the brain with electrical stimulation, eventually figured out that when they put electrodes there and what became then known as the reward centers, that rats would press the center, press the button, press the lever and just, they just do that like 2000 times a minute and they, no water, no, they just do it until they, until they die. Mm-hmm. And that's the same area that gets lit up with cocaine and with sugar. That's what people say that, you know, it's cocaine and sugar. It's just as addictive. It's like, no, it's the same area of the brain. It's like, that's the brain part of the brain that tells you you're doing something you like. It's connected with that sensation of something that you enjoy. That's rewarding. It's the reward center, so to speak. Hey, thank you for checking into this edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you to go check out truenutrition.com for all of your nutrition and supplement needs. You can get your protein powders, you can get your whole food vitamins, and you can get your vitamin D3 just like me. And when you get finished shopping and go to check out, be sure to use the code CEPN for a 5% discount on your total order. Also, be ever so kind and subscribe to the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast Network wherever you stream your podcasts, including YouTube for video content and TikTok for those riveting clips, so that you can keep the variety coming straight to your ear holes with the automaticity. Now for this episode, Colt and I were joined by returning guest and good friend, Dr. Scott Stevenson. Dr. Stevenson is a bodybuilding physiologist, author of Fortitude Training and Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach speaker slash presenter and he contains so much knowledge in his brain that it will make your head explode during this episode you'll hear us discuss some topics in neuroscience including the intricacies of learning trauma and loss and how intense emotion affects the memory in the brain how to find exercise in life enjoyable and much more be sure to visit dr scott on instagram at instagram.com slash fortitude underscore training and you can also find his link tree there which has a wealth of stuff that you're going to want to check out So unfortunately, we do have a disclaimer for this episode as we did our best to record with a subpar internet connection. So you will hear some audio disturbance and it will keep us from posting the entire video of our discussion. Very unfortunate. But nevertheless, hang in there with us through this discussion because when Doc speaks and you listen, you will learn. You shan't be disappointed, I promise. So ladies and gentlemen, it is time once again to keep your brains warm. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to yet another riveting edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. I am James, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Colt. Yes, sir. And with us on the line today, returning guest, old friend of ours, Dr. Scott Stevenson. How are you doing today, Doc? I'm good. It's been two years, you guys said on Instagram. It has. It's been a little over two years, yeah. Wow. How long have you guys been doing this podcast, by the way? About four years. Yeah, four, four so. and a half-ish, yeah. okay. maybe, something That's like awesome. that. awesome. Yeah. You know, I actually think... You you may have been on the show more than anybody actually because I think this is your fourth time. Yeah, yeah. That, so congratulations on that. <laughs> yeah, I, th- thanks. I, it's funny. I, I I tell so many people. I this is just conversations for me, you know. Yeah. And I they get. I can't remember. Don't think of it as a podcast. It's just think of it as I'm just chatting with whomever, you know, right. friends, you know, people I know. Uh-huh. So I can't I can't really recall. Like a lot of times, I don't recall if I said something in conversation or to a client. We're on a podcast. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So I, you know him better than I do for sure. Well, as that's, far as that goes. that's pretty much why we started to podcast anyway, because we just sat around and talked so much about 
everything that we you know are interested in that we're like hey you know what we should just stick some mics in front of our faces and record it and see what happens and that was right. four plus years ago now so yeah. we just keep coming back for more but you know it's a fun time and plus i learned you know i get on here and i get guests on like you who are just a wealth of information that i can try and soak all that in and if I can't soak it all in, then I go back and I listen to it again because I've got it on recording, so it doesn't have to right. stress my memory out too much. But yeah, we uh, we greatly appreciate you taking time out of your day, Doc, to be on here with us again. It has been over two years because I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we recorded last right before the pandemic shut everything down because you were coming out this way, at St. Louis Way, for um, some kind of a, a talk and um, yes. I believe that got probably shut down, didn't it? Yeah. Now I think we talked. I think my dad had just passed. We talked about that a good bit on yeah. the podcast. Now mm. that I recall, that's correct. And that all makes sense. I did. You know what? You know what happened? Because um, otherwise, I would have stopped by and say hello. But that was exactly when the pandemic was really like people didn't know which way was up, uh -huh. and I was coming through. Um, I was in Quincy, my hometown, Illinois, up the road, and mom was there and she wanted to be there when I was going to be there. And then the pandemic hit and she needed to get back to Florida lickety split. Mm -hmm. So I actually drove her down. Like literally she got a flight and it was like, okay, we're going the next day. And then I set up the last presentation talk I gave at a gym there in St. Louis um, house of pain gym from my buddy, Joe Corbett. And, uh, and then I tried to get the heck out of there. I actually, this is like, it's an old story now, but, um, a lot of people remember this for some interesting Instagram posts. I broke down in Mount Pleasant um, for like 16 days. Holy cow. My truck broke down. Yeah. Blue gasket, blue head gasket, or that's what it ended up being amongst other things. There's a bunch of things. I tried to leave like four times. And every time I tried to leave, I thought I had it fixed. Tried to leave, broke down, had to turn back around. Um, so I ended up being there for a total of 16 days. So I was going out in the field. I stayed at an RV park there. They have one. And I stayed in the park there and just figured out some way to, you know, is this park in the, you know, outdoor training barbarian style with logs and pieces of metal. There was this giant pipe finally at the very, my last day there, I'm like, I've been, eyeball, I've been eyeballing that pipe for like two weeks. I'm like, I'm going to deadlift that motherfucker. <laughs> if I can. Literally the thing is probably like, it must have been 30 feet long. It probably weighed at the end where I picked it up. It weighed at least 400 pounds or something like that. Uh, I was pretty heavy, but it was fun, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, that was exactly then. So what, what kind of looks were you getting from people at that campground? No one really even saw me. Cause I, I was, I just went out into the back. I mean, every once in a while, the owners would be there, you know, cleaning things, but it was way behind. It was off the, the beaten path of the, of the campground. There's just an open field. Gotcha. So I literally just went out there. Um, you guys can find, you can, the you have to scroll back a little bit on my Instagram, but um, I had some bands. So I was doing like, you know, doubling and quadrupling up the bands mm -hmm. and doing like um, Romanian split squats. I found a, uh, a large pole that was part of a, a fence and double banded that and was able to figure out how to do some squats with that. I hooked it up on the corner of a fence and then I stepped backwards and then, I mean, literally, it was pretty shaky, but I, I made up, you know, some pretty decent exercises. And it was, it was just it was a blast. It was fun. I came up with probably at least three or four things that I wouldn't have otherwise. And that's when everyone, remember how it came the rage to, to show you can do at home? 
Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and that's why I just had no, I didn't have a gym. There was no place to go. Literally grocery store was about it. That was open. So, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was actually a really kind of fun that I remember. Cause I was 16 days and it's one of those, like, I think we talked about this maybe in the last podcast. It's like, I'm stuck. Not much I can do except enjoy the moment. And I was with my dogs and we were relatively safe. Um, the first night it was not, there actually was a, um, uh, there was a tornado warning. I broke down the far, I could just get to a parking lot. I had my truck camper on the back of my pickup and I literally was trying to get the truck fixed. So I took the, the camper off so I could get the truck out from under it and got that picked up and taken to the dealership. And then I was, this was really, this is a sort of funny anecdote related to that. I was stuck there right in the middle of this parking lot. And Mount Pleasant's not a very big town. So this is sort of a, this is an interesting thing because the parking lot was not really being used. It wasn't, weren't even lines there for, um, it was near the Kroger, I think, but there weren't even lines there for people to park. So it was like, just, I just was in the middle of nowhere. I was looking for a a flat spot where I could stop right? and it'd be okay to put the camera. And there were, there was a tornado watch that night, actually, right there in the area. And the people who were getting gas, the nearby gas station were coming by and they're like it was as if i come down on a spaceship you know and they're like what is going on here with this guy they just stop you know and kind of stare at me and eventually you know i talked to the who i thought i found out who owned the parking lot and i got approval to stay there like i would love to leave i would love to be on my way down to florida but i have no choice i'm stuck trying to get out of here eventually a cop came by and i went through like i went to like three different tow companies because no one wanted to tow me and no one wanted to tow the truck camper. And there's a long debacle there. And one of the guys who eventually did tow me was on Facebook. And he saw that like, I was the talk of the town on Facebook apparently. <laughs> and as a cop was coming over and trying to what was going on the next day. And I was explaining to him, yeah, I've spoken with them. They're okay with me being here. He's like, Oh, okay. And this guy pulls up and he's like, it's like, hey, everyone on Facebook's talking about you. Do you need a lift somewhere? Because he figured I'd be gone by then, but I wasn't. And I'm like, I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, like everyone's talking about like, and he said, and he he spoke up for me. This is what was really cool. He's like, he's like, I know the guy. I talked to him. I, I helped him, you know, tow his truck. And he wants to leave. And almost <laughs> all of you who are here saying like criticizing him for being there, you got a truck. Help him out, you know. So he came by to help me out. And I didn't need it. I thought I was getting my truck back shortly thereafter, but it was just really funny. It was sort of a little social experiment. Like what happens if you just plop a, a truck camper down in the middle of a parking lot near a big grocery store, what will people do? And really nice gesture from that guy. The cop was really cool. A lot of people are like, what's going on? And they go to social media or talking about it. He said there were hundreds of posts on a thread somewhere for, you know, some community Facebook page from everyone there trying to figure out what this, you know, this alien is doing, <laughs> you know, parked in this truck camper, you know, it was, it was an odd thing, but not one of those, I, there were probably 15 people who like kind of drove and I, they just stopped and just stared at me, you know? And I was like, okay, like, what am I going to, you know, I was a little concerned at first, then it kept on happening. I'm like, oh, they're curious. They just want to know, you know, why I'm, there. but no one ever asked really. No one ever actually inquired except for the cop eventually. So that's kind of like the time and the culture we live in now though, isn't it? Because you, I mean, we are in a time where you don't really know like what your situation is. And if, you know, is, 
is helping you going to get me killed? I don't know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. We don't just had the conversation. I've had many conversations about this, but yeah, there's um, social media and the distance that comes with that is displacing those human interactions that, you know, I, that really we were made to have that our brains are engineered to have. And when we're lacking in that, um, literally it, it can create sort of a, um, uh, a, a social um, disability, perhaps you might say, and that you just don't know how to go about saying, you know, you just go up and say, hey, you know, you, you're good, man. Did you break down? Like, can I help you with anything? You need some food or what have you, you know? But folks are not, and lots of people do do that, of course, but I think you're right. Yeah, it's, it's that tendency. It's like, if the phone weren't there, if social media weren't there, if that outlook for discussion weren't there, then people would give otherwise. I'm absolutely sure, certain. And, but it, but it is there. So we are, we are interacting. Like, are you guys on the next door app? You know, that one I've heard of it, but we're not on it. No. Yeah. I'm on my, it's actually, it's actually pretty, um, it could be quite useful. Like for like, I want to find a good mechanic in my area. Anyone knows someone who's trustworthy. You can, you know, that, those sorts of things, but it's, it's, it's another version of Facebook. It's, it started off with, you know, you can post free things that you want to give away to people, lots of good, good things, but then it, it's just turned into what social media does is sort of, um, uh, you know, a place for outrage and complaints and, and, uh, you know, not always the prettiest aspect of humanity to come to the forefront. Um, so it's almost as if like you can't, no matter how you structure a social media community, this is, there are exceptions to this. Um, and I know many of them actually, but if you have a generalized one, they will sort of slide to a Facebook like type of interaction. Um, that's, it tells us something about the way in which social media hacks into our psychology, I think. Yeah. And there are some uh, engineers that are designing these things, to, and they're trying to do just that. They're trying to hack into our psychology, and they're, they're really good at it, actually. They know how to suck the attention, especially out of the kids, out of the youth. And uh, I, yeah. I just saw a, a documentary. It's Children 2.0, I think it's what it's called, or Kids 2.0, one of those. Uh -huh. And uh, it was talking about how the, the kids are just so inclined to social media and how it's changing their psychology, changing the social structure and this is all that they know. My kids, I have a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old. All they know is the technology that we have nowadays. That They don't know any different. And, yeah. and with the way that some of the pitfalls uh, with uh, social media and with the technology in general, on top of the pandemic that we've gone through and the, um, the, uh, lock, you know, the lockdowns and the shut-ins and the quarantining, it's really yeah. put a strain on the next generation. So we're just kind of gritting our teeth and hoping that they turn out okay, you know, after all this. <laughs> yeah. You know, even to the extent, and there's some talk about this, the way that wearing a mask for for kids oh. has, has, is kind of debilitating because they, they're counting on facial expressions and, and, and expressive language in order to learn, and they're not able to to gain from this right now, and it's, it's been tough. Yeah, there, there's a neuropsychologist by the name of Manfred Schwitzer. He's a German. I've been listening to a lot of his presentations in, in German on YouTube, but you can, he has some in English that he's done. And he talks about, you know, some of the things that are vitally important for normal brain development. And, and one of those that's, that's built into how we 
we um, at movement and connection with the world and interacting with things, touching things, grasping things, especially with our hands and our fingers, even like he talks about, like there's literally research that shows that, that ca- finger counting as you're a kid, the more that more a kid, child does that, the better, uh, more depth they are at mathematics as they go through school. Um, there's even, even cultural differences in, in China, for instance, they count to, to 10 with one hand. And so what we typically, you know, one, two, three, four, five, and six, seven, eight, and 10. So kids learn that way. And when they compare um, students that are adults or, you know, adolescents or beyond China, in this case, Germans versus the Chinese, um, you see the higher than they're asking to do, you know, very quick numerical calculations. And when the values go up to about the point of five, everything's a little bit slower because you have to kind of count, you know, one plus one, one plus two, one plus two. And then, um, and the higher the number, the, the slower in general. But when you get to six, there's an inflection point with the Germans. So they slow down substantially because they're used to counting with two hands as children. That's how we learn how to count is figuring things out that way. But the Chinese don't have that. They're, they're significantly faster after six because they, they bend their fingers to count zero through 10. And thereafter, you know, they're, they're a little more even. But in that interim, so like literally just being able to use your hands to count things and touch things impacts how you do math in your head, for instance. Hmm. Right. There's hmm. there's studies where they've given, they've done this, and there's either they show no effect or a strongly negative effect for most students when they give them computers, most kids they give them computers, it slows their development, it reduces their test scores. They do worse because it's a distraction for them at that age. The more advanced students that are highly curious who are, you know, already at the top of their class, it actually helps, it improves their, in the way that you would, you know, um, theoretically expect that it could, it improves their, their learning um, because now they have more resources available they can like if you want to know something they go and they google it and google something else and they they can gather more information more rapidly whereas a student who's not not oriented in that kind of way who's maybe not you know intellectually inclined they're out off watching you know playing games or watching you know cartoons or who knows what and it, it adversely affects their development because and this is what you know you can listen to some of spitzer stuff is friggin' brilliant but he talks about a number of studies where you see that um, you look for the development in the, the motor cortex of guitar players. It's extraordinary because they spend, you know, we spend four hours a day playing guitar. It's there. And, and so, and when you compare the development in the cortex and the degree of networking that happens, it's, it's um, it matches the activities that you do. So if you are as a kid growing up, when you have this tremendous learning capacity that is you know, incredibly rapid compared to what happens after the age of 2025 when your, your, your prefrontal cortex is formed, your brain development is slowed, you're spending four or six hours a day or seven or eight hours a day on average, more on the weekends, just swiping, just swipe, 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 working on a flat screen. You're not stumbling. You're not falling. You're not learning all those things that come. You're not, you're not smelling things. You're not seeing things in your environment. You're missing out on the normal multitude of experiences that our brains um, use to learn and to connect with our world. And it's being supplanted with just swiping. Well, guess what's happening to all, what could have been a number of really intricate neural connections about how the world works. 
you're missing the opportunity. You're like, literally, that's, that's your window of opportunity right there as a child to learn those things. You missed it. If you, I think it's, I think he says that if a, on average, if someone hasn't spoken, like, you know, raised by wolves type of scenario, a person hasn't spoken until they're by, by the time they're 13, they won't learn. They can't acquire a language. Wow. wow. But he, but yeah, but he has these very cool examples. He's got three of them that he talks about. The most amazing is of a, a, a girl that was two or three, I think. And they, she shows a picture of her brain. She got an infection on one side of her brain that was threatening to take over her entire brain, literally removed one whole half of her brain. You look at the, the MRI of her skull and she, you would think, you know, normal, normal radiologists think, well, that, that person, you know, well, they're, they're obviously expired. They're dead. Well, they interviewed her, this, this girl, when she was seven and she spoke two languages fluently without a language center. Whoa. She had no language center. Like typically her brain figured out how to, how to take in language, how to create a language center out of the neurons that were there redevelop those those connections and she speaks two languages fluently because she was brought up speaking those two languages you know there's some reflexes that were a little bit slowed other than that neurologically completely normal with half a brain but it happened when she was two that happens when you're 22 and you're probably a goner right yeah 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 so it's it's interesting though because the the human mind does have capacity to uh, to make up for uh, deficits, right? And so the deficits yeah. that people are, that, that kids especially from swiping all day, as you were mentioning, um, the lack of that actual motor activity that, that the brain is seeking in order for development, they're developing something else. Don't you think they're probably evolving into, and we don't know what yet because this is a first. And so time yeah. will tell what actually comes of this. Kind of scary, but you know, it's, it's also very interesting in a way. Um, it's, yeah. ju- it's just, who knows what's going to happen. The, the scary thing is that the information that's being fed to them is coming from algorithms and whatever happens to be on the internet. It's not as if, I mean, garbage in, garbage out, like, you know, programmers have, you know, sort of like, if you have shitty, shitty programming, you know, you're going to have a, you're not going to get good stuff coming out of there. So true. You could like if you like if you want like I've got a friend actually and this is a this is really fascinating now especially in the context of this she both of her parents were um, educational psychologists master's degree PhD and they both were teachers for young kids so this is where their expertise she's about five six years younger than me so she's in her mid forties now when she was thirteen they 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 knew certain things even then that would help with her cognitive development. They had her, she used to play a game, a, a video game called Math Blasters. I think it was something like the numbers would come down and you had to figure out what they added to or, you know, multiply the two of them and type in real fast, like kind of like Space Invaders, but you had to do rapid math, math in your head. And um, she was just exposed to all these, edu- everything that was educational as possible. That was fun. Totally normal person. She doesn't come across as being some hyper intelligent geek or like an overly intellectual, she's not with socially withdrawn. She's not on the spectrum or anything like that. She got a perfect score on her SAT when she was 13. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. And she's total normal development. She has a PhD now in molecular biology. Um, but that was so much. And they did the same thing with her. We can maybe if we want to transition to the body stuff, she all had also recognized and this is Eastern Mock. 
countries recognized and their athletes you you find kids that have, are gifted in one way and then you make use of that developmental process and she was um ended up being a state champion tennis player and swimmer both and her dad started off i think at the age of five or six he's like well we're going to do some upper body strengthening thing and he had like an old like you know dp weight set in the garage so when they go out for their morning jogs or you know some cardio they just bench press well, she got to where, and she was, you know, fairly str- stronger than the average person because she was a good, pretty, quite a good athlete, but her nervous system knew how to bench press because she'd been benching since she was six. Hmm. And she'd go into the gym. I met her when she was in college. She'd go into the rec center and lie down, and she's weighing about 140 at the time, and she'd lie down and throw a couple 45s on the bar and, you know, pick it up. And guys would be running to try to, you know, thinking she's going to hurt herself, and she'd bang out a set of 10. And then she'd go to, you know, 185 and bang out a set of six. She'd go to, she could bench two and a quarter, no problem. She benched, this is totally natty. This is without any training. She benched 285 in the gym weighing like 140. Holy cow. Yeah. And, but she, but she wasn't over, overhead press wasn't extraordinary. She could be pretty good with the deadlift just because she, you know, was strong willed and was able to like, you know, just employ everything possible to pull the weight. But she, her, her bench press strength was phenomenal. So, that's a motor, a motor learning example of specificity of training that started very early on in her developmental process. And it was, it was hilarious to watch her at the rec center, man, because she'd go and she's going to lift. And I'm like, I would just even stop what I'm doing just to watch the guys either run to try to spot her and she'd have to call them off, you know? And she's like, <laughs> well, she's holding the weight. She's like, she's like, okay, I'm okay. I'm okay. And they wouldn't leave, you know, they're being, trying to be nice. And then sometimes the guys next to her on the bench, would be like, oh, I'm benching next to her. She's stronger than I am. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's so much, so much cool stuff when it comes to that. And it's, that's the thing with Manfred Spitzer is, is you know, working against because you don't see that in the educational system. One of these studies with kids, they had to call it off after two years. This, the test scores were getting so bad. They're like, we can't continue this, you know, <laughs> ethically speaking, because we're, you know, we're, we're destroying these, these children's test scores, their cognitive abilities are going south and they should be improving because they're spending so much time with the computers. And it's, it's not just the computer, exactly what you said. It's, you know, they have to have the right information and the, the right thing for there. My, my friend that was done for her, you know, and, and she, it wasn't like she didn't, she loves her parents. She had fun playing those games. They were a blast. Yeah. So you know, it's a matter of what you what you feed in, and like one one last thing that's kind of important to one point that he that he makes. So I'm kind of stealing his stuff, but it's so such valuable information. Um, he talks about you know the reward center in the brain, you know that gets lit up when you do something that you like, and you know they they were just sort of mapping the brain with electrical stimulation. Eventually, figured out that when they put electrodes there, and what became then known as the reward centers that rats would press the center, press the button, press the lever. And just, they just do that like 2000 times a minute and they no water. No, they just do it until they, until they die. Mm-hmm. And that's the same area that gets lit up with cocaine and with sugar. That's what people say that, you know, it's cocaine and sugar. It's just as addictive. It's like, no, it's the same area of the brain. It's like, that's the brain part of the brain that tells you you're doing something you like. It's connected with that sensation of something that you enjoy. That's rewarding. It's the reward center, so to speak. But what also happens there, and this is why it's what's connected to learning, is when you activate that center, there's dopamine release. 
which has neurotrophic effects on actually creating those connections between the neurons, which literally constitute learning. The brain doesn't have like a, a, a CPU and a hard drive where you're thinking and then you're like storing stuff. And it's like, okay, what do I got to remember? Actually, they're all, all combined into one. So your, your brain can't, doesn't, has no choice. The more you experience, the more connections are made. And those connections constitute, there's also some non-proteins that are involved, but those connections constitute your memories. So it's the doing that creates the learning. And the more you enjoy, the more your reward center is activated, the more, the better you're going to form those connections, the more you're, prop, you're, you're perpetuating that neuronal growth and those, those connections, which are that which, which means you've learned something, you've been getting, gotten better at something, you've gained knowledge or um, you know, a skill or what have you. So, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Another interesting correlation that I studied at one point in time was the, the correlation between emotion and memory. And so yeah. when, when something is and, and this is all part of the brain as well, it, it happens all inside. Of it. It's not by accident. It, it's part of the process. and It's the same process. So when something is more emotionally triggering, obviously, if, whether it's good or bad, we tend to remember it. Right. It can be bad yeah. in the way of, you know, even traumatic or it could be good as and that was the best time of my life. I'm never going to forget that. And mm -hmm. we can eat more easily recall that because of the emotion involved. Absolutely. Yeah. You can learn things really fast. If right, it's yeah. painful or emotionally, you know, coherent to you. And, and then have um, you ever heard of EMDR? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Rapid uh, eye that. movement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that's all about, you know, a lot of therapy does this in various ways, mm -hmm. but it, if you can change the um, emotional valence, I think they may call it like the emotions associated with a memory. Cause every time you have a memory, you literally have to rewrite that memory and having it. You know, the, the neurons reformulate that each time. So you can re-remember something and, a, and change your perspective and change what that memory literally is from a physical standpoint. Um, and that, that's highly effective. For anyone out there who's listening who's maybe been traumatized and they've got some PTSD things that they think they might be, need some help with, um, the EMDR worked really well for me, and it works really well for lots of vets, for instance. Really? Yeah, I said a rapid eye yeah. movement. It's uh, eye movement uh, desensitization. What's the... Uh, I, I can't remember yeah. the, the last was, word off the top I, of my I head. I always forget what the R stands yeah. for, too. And, and <laughs> recall or something like that. Something yeah. like that, yeah. But yeah, yeah. and it's, it's really surprised me. Some of my colleagues actually certified in, in that. And at first, mm -hmm. I was kind of taken... I, I thought maybe that was a fringe thing. I didn't really know much about it. And I've, I've started yeah. to study a little more, and apparently it's quite effective. And, and to hear you anecdotally say that it is, yeah, that you uh, benefited from it, that's amazing. That's awesome. Dude, it's brutal. I mean, <laughs> well, I, I was actually, my main, I, I worked with two different therapists on it, but the, the second one who was the more adept, um, I was part of a study. So I never really got um, debriefed on like what happened with the study. Maybe I could find her. I'd be interested. So I'm not sure if what I did was in any way different than what someone might typically do. But this the woman I worked with back in Arizona, she was she was the, the top person in Tucson for this, at least. But I tell you what, man, I knew I was, was going to go in there and relive that really traumatic experience. It was when two I had three dogs, two of my dogs died in kind of a freak accident. And it's a, the, the, the situation, the conditions were such that. You know, it was very easy to blame myself because they're my dogs. I'm responsible for them. And something I did actually to help with their safety back, totally backfired, ended up being the cause of their death. Two of them, one survived. 
the actually, well, with, if we talk about my Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach book, mm-hmm. it's dedicated to Rusty who survived. He oh, was wow. fun. So there, yeah, there's a dedication in there that basically refers back to this time because he's the one who helped me through it. But man, <laughs> going in there, I'm like, okay, it's like my, I think my appointments are like on Wednesday and like in Monday I'd start thinking about, it. I'm going to have to go in there and relive this. And you, you go through and you, and like, I mean, I would just be sitting there and not having me started. I'm just crying my eyes out. So I knew I was going to have to go in and explain it all and from start to finish. But you end up sort of taking a third person approach and recognizing, you know, that none of didn't do anything intentional. You know, I totally reframed it. It took a while and it was absolutely t- totally worth it. So there, I think there's something to say for the, the back and forth thing, the eye movement, or sometimes use haptics or sounds to try to, um, I think connect the dots between your left and right hemispheres in some, some way there's some neuro reprogramming that goes on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of it is just simply digging in uh, most of the time. Those, those are things you just want to avoid because you don't want to have those memories, you know, and they're, they're layered in there and they, when they, they keep on coming forth, you know, and I mean, I was totally, I was agoraphobic. I couldn't watch anything on, I couldn't see any violence whatsoever without just being, like totally affected. Wow. I was really bad. Yeah. I was really pretty traumatic. And, um, for about a year, I finally came through it. Wow. So, a- so after that, like these days, if you have any kind of experiences like that, do you work on them differently personally because of that or, or no? Luckily I haven't had anything That's like good. that. I mean, that was, I was situation. In my life was, it was an attorney point anyway. And I was actually, I was on my way to a bodybuilding show in California, from Arizona. And so I was alone by myself um, in Yuma, Arizona, actually. And the, it was heat that caused the dogs to die. So, you know, I, I kind of lost my family. I almost lost the rest. They almost charged me with animal abuse. Mm, wow. you no, know, it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't at all intentional. Right. Um, and I, actually I did everything I could to ensure their safety. But what I did kind of backfired. I was, you know, it's a, the details don't matter so much, but I haven't had anything that happened that was that traumatic since then. Thank goodness. You know, my, my dad's died and I've lost people, but that was, especially cause I was alone, you know, and I didn't, at that point, I didn't, I didn't feel like at least I had anyone I could turn to. So, I mean, imagine I mean, this is this is the only thing that can comes to mind. I don't at all want to diminish because this isn't that experience. But imagine being like a prisoner of war, you know, alone. You would take a prisoner and you can't talk to anybody. I didn't feel like I had anyone to, to talk with. Them. I had nobody. So that didn't help one bit, I right. don't think, yeah. with the situation. But if I did have something like that happen, I think now – who I have become now and recognizing like that is not a healthy, that was not a healthy thing to do. I would, I would just force myself as much as I might not be inclined to, to reach out to somebody. I wouldn't let, I would let those circumstances deepen trauma of loss like that. I would find someone um, to talk to or what have you. So I would, I kind of, I think uh, to kind of answer your question, I think I learned that, um, one, the social isolation, you know, makes things worse. That Manfred Spitzer's written a book. This is part of how I got uh, turned on him. He's written a book. It's in German. Um, might be able to get a translation, but it's it's loneliness. And he goes through. I haven't read it yet, but um, 
he goes through in the book and talks about, I mean, his contention is, and he backs us up with science and statistics that loneliness is, is a, a more um, lethal killer of us in terms of what it, how it impacts life expectancy, smoking, cancer, you know, most of the big killers we think of high blood pressure and cardiovascular disease and those sorts of things. It's, you know, a tre- tremendously impactful on quality of life, of course, I think also longevity. So um, I kind of realized then, cause I was like, I didn't tell anybody what had happened for like a month. Um, I finally had to tell the per- person who'd given me one of those dogs. I felt, you know, obliged to her to tell her what had happened. Um, but yeah, so I wouldn't let myself go through that, but I would do EMDR for sure. If, and I would recommend it to others if they are in that spot. Cause I mean, you, know, <laughs> you kind of have to have gone through it once to know, you know, what to avoid the second time, you know? So I don't think that ever could quite happen to me in the same way, but, um, yeah, the loneliness and the not being connected to people, that's the, that's the part that really, I think, um, that can deepen any wound, you know? Yeah, unfortunately, it seems like it's kind of a package deal oftentimes too, Doc. When something traumatic happens, the, the disconnection and, and the loneliness because of the personal feelings of the traumatized, it often it, it is a, a process of, of deepening the wound. Uh, trauma doesn't yeah. just happen once. By nature, trauma is right. something that goes on and on within that person. And that's that's why we can't get over it. That's why we can't get past it. And it seems especially yeah. when we isolate and when we avoid and, and we, stay, we stay secluded into ourselves, then all we have is ourselves with that trauma because it's still so fresh and it, and it continues to, to beat us up in, in the process. Yeah, and, and so it, yeah. it's it's tough, and so I, I it sounds like you learned a lot from it, and and kind of if and when hopefully it doesn't, but if and when trauma does strike again, you kind of know a little bit better about how to approach it, maybe. Yeah, you work with traumatized people sometimes. Do I am I misremembering this? Yeah, I work with a lot of traumatized people. I, yeah, I thought you did. Okay, so this yeah. is sort of your 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 ball game a little bit. Yeah. It's it's kind of my um, ball game, but it also seems like you know sometimes it just seems so so much. It, it seems like so much because yeah. trauma is, is such a weight for people, and, and you want to be helpful. And, and sometimes it seems like you're you're just up, you know, you're you're facing the wind the whole time. You're, you're trying to help, and, and it's difficult. But yeah, yeah, you, you can't process it for someone else. That's the thing. You can be mm-hmm. there. You can be supportive. But you're right. There's on, on the one side that they've just you've just got to figure out what happened in your own way, in your own head. It's like, you can't, you can't learn, you know, how to do calculus for someone else. You can't learn a language for someone else. You can't learn how to ride a bike for someone else. And you can't learn how to process trauma for someone else. You can be there. You can say, wow, that was awesome. You, you didn't fall. you got 20 yards on the bike before you, you know, had to put your foot down. That was great. You can support them, but they still got to do it, you know, mm-hmm. one way, shape or form. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And when someone's given up, that's that's very difficult to work with, you know, yeah. if they don't have that willpower to keep going. And uh, unfortunately, that's that's oftentimes the case. If someone doesn't have a strong support structure, if they don't mm-hmm. have, you know, a, a, they put together life in the first place when tra- when you know, tragedy does strike and they're traumatized. It's very difficult for a lot of folks to get back on their feet. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, you know, I've I've had conversations, and I, I think there's some truth to this. But one, there's a psychologist that that um, was in contact with at one point, who's who his thought was that hope was sort lack of hope was the hallmark depression. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and and you know, actually, when you think about it from a very rudimentary neurological perspective, like when we in terms of things that that we're rewarded by our reward center in the brain, like if you look at when you, it's the anticipation of getting that thing or doing that thing or having that thing that lights up those areas in our brain that tell us we're happy mm-hmm. that we've enjoyed something. And like, um, like when you buy something, like they, they've done these, like you're going to get a little reward in an experiment or you buy, you get some little trinket or whatever. Reward sets lit up, you know, just for a few seconds and then ooh, the light goes out again. So if you're in a depressing, you're in a situation where you've been traumatized or you've experience trauma and given up hope, then you don't like you, you like you basically block you. You don't believe that those, those pathways can be lit, lit up again. There's nothing in life to do that for you. So that's like, that's, that's very zombie like or even worse. Mm-hmm. You know? So yeah. Yeah. That's a tough place to be. Um, that's why people of course turn to drugs and other things that light up those reward centers. Right. That's right. That's- I- a big reason yeah. why they self-medicate is because it, it seems so much that it's even at an unconscious level. You know, they don't necessarily know oh, yeah. the, the neuroscience behind it, but they mm-hmm. just know that this uh, this covers the pain for now or causes me to be able to feel. How, how often I I hear that? Uh, why would you know yeah. when explaining why they abuse a substance? Because I I couldn't feel otherwise. I I couldn't feel anything, and so I did this, and mm-hmm. I was able to experience some kind of pleasure, some kind of feeling whatsoever, or something yeah. that makes you not be able to feel the pain that you're going through in general. True that, yeah. Also to numb yeah. the pains yeah. a lot of times. That's that's the case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A covering strategy. Yeah. Yeah, we call it. Which you know, if we could point everybody to kind of segue into. Um, fitness and, and bodybuilding if we if, if we could just get everybody to take part in in you know physical activity and i right. i try to preach it as much as possible you know i tell people i don't i would stress out i would i would be stressed if i didn't have my time with physical activity you know mm-hmm. i use breathing exercises i do i i use uh you know, cognitive restructuring. I, I try to shift my thoughts to where they are more productive and, and hopefully more positive for my life. But without physical activity, with, without the, the endorphins that, that, you know, come with lifting weights and, and, and getting on the elliptical and pushing myself and sweating through some things, I would stress out and then my head would probably explode, literally. <laughs> and so I just want everybody to, to take part in that. So um, can't say enough about physical activity as a stress reliever itself. Yeah, I mean, the Chinese have known this, you know, for thousands of years. It's like a basic tenant. And pretty most of us in Western society, because we're notoriously sedentary, we don't move enough. We don't exercise enough. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know what the numbers are exactly now, but like 10% of the U.S. population actually exercises according to like the ACSM's, American College of Sports Medicine's recommendations. We're just, you know, we're sedentary. That's why we got an obesity epidemic, et cetera, et cetera. And in the Chinese medical paradigm, um, movement moves the liver. The liver is, or liver is what moves the energy in the body. And if the energy is not moving, then you have stagnation. That's what gives you pain, for instance. It causes just this can be the root of all sorts of issues, physical maladies. And we know that, like from a Western perspective, we know this. 
you know, you cardiovascular disease and exercises, you know, is dramatically reduces all cause mortality. Be, you know, it's just a conceptual paradigm that, that works when you're applying your herbs and, and acupoints and what have you, but it points to the same thing that we're kind of made to move. And if you think about it as hunter gatherers, you know, there's a couple, there's lots of things we could learn from that way of living. One, you move around, you know, four or five, six hours a day, and then you spend the rest of the day telling stories, interacting with one another, playing, taking a nap, having sex, just doing fun stuff. You don't stay up, you know, you know, with artificial light all day long and, and, you know, live an artificially um, contrived circadian rhythm and overwork yourself, et cetera, et cetera. So many of the stresses of modern, they're so far away from what our bodies are attuned to. And we, we overdo it. We do too many things that don't involve activity. And we underdo it when it comes to the activity. It's really so bass backwards in so many ways, mm. but I don't think and that's the thing. It's, the interesting thing is that's we don't play enough. You know, we like that's like if you if you have like let's say, you know, gosh, I'm hungry, you know, or like this is where the deer are. Like let's go let's go hunt some deer, or like that's where the berries and whatever this is the things we're gonna go go try to gather. Well, you're driven to do that because you're hungry. You know you need to do it so you can have the feast that you're planning on having, whatever it whatever cultural event, whatever food event. There's, it's just a natural normal, and you know it'll know what will happen. You get there, you get the berries, you have some, you have lunch, you come back, whatever it would be. That's a normal thing, and that takes care of that normal physical. Our bodies are attuned to that. It's normal to have that amount of activity. And then when we fast forward to modern living, and we say, well, now you, we know the body needs that, needs that. So let's add an artificial dose of movement. And weight training is, I mean, and I'm trying not to be a hypocrite here, but weight training is a highly artificial way of introducing activity in your, into your daily, daily plan. Like you lift something up, put it down. I probably talk, I talk about this a lot. It's just like, it's an unnatural act in many ways. Uh, yeah. I enjoy it, you know, as I'm wired weird. Um, and I started doing it when I was very young too. There's probably something to say for that, but you tell an average person, like go get on a treadmill, like a rodent in a, in a cage and just like, that's just a horrible thing to do. So that's just punishment. You know, that's medieval. And it should be like, let's go play. And I like one of my favorite stories was a guy who at my gym years ago, who was not making good progress with his trainer. They were doing everything and he'd come in and he kind of complained about having me there and how his trainer beats him up and all this kind of stuff. He had a good time while I was there, but he really didn't like the, the exercise. You, he wasn't going to continue on his own without a trainer. So like, Scott, we need to figure out something that's just not working. He's not losing weight. He's not making, making his goals. And I said, well, what do you want to look like? And he's like, he's like, what do you mean? I said, well, where, like, where, like, what kind of a body? How would you like to look and feel? Like, think back to like your, like your prime. He's like, oh, that was definitely when I was in high school. I'd love to be able to get in those jeans I wore in high school. And I said, okay, well, what'd you do in high school? What were you doing in high school? He's like, I said, Did you play sports. He's like, yeah, I played soccer. I'm like, okay, well, why aren't you playing soccer? He's like, what do you mean? I said, why don't you go play soccer? <laughs> Would you, can you play soccer? He's like, yeah, there's some, actually, there's a bunch of soccer leagues here, you know, down by the university. There's a bunch of fields. I know, actually, I don't know a bunch of places because he was aware of that. He just didn't think that's not what we do. You know, when you're 38 or however old you are, go soccer. I'm like, we I mean, don't hurt yourself. Take it, take it easy. <laughs> work your way into it, but you don't bought a knee day one. And then so he started doing that. He finished out his program and then he came back like three or four months later just to visit the gym. He dropped like 30 pounds. 
and he's out there playing soccer with all these, you know, other soccer buffs. He was having a blast. That was, that's exactly what we should do more of. We should have more like, we shouldn't have like LA fitness. We should have like LA funness. You know, I just made that up Um, where you just like go and have fun, you know, and people just, you know, play as adults. And that could be like the, you know, the meatheads who want to pick up weights and that kind of stuff. And that could be people who, you know, like we're going to, we're going to play volleyball or pickleball, or it's funny, like older people eventually do that. They'll play like old people games, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but we don't do that when we're in our working year. So yeah, we miss, we miss the boat with exercise. I agree with you wholeheartedly, but we don't, we don't make it fun and enjoyable. So you want to keep on doing it. Yeah. Right. You, you mentioned that you weight trained as a kid and you were talking about the girl earlier who was bench pressing as a, you know, a young girl and things like that too. Where do you fall on that spectrum of getting young kids in the weight room and stuff like that? I mean, I guess it can be fun and I guess if you do it the right way, you know, but they do, there are the people out there who say that it can really affect development and things like that with young kids. So where do you fall on that spectrum? Yeah, that was that was my mom's. My mom had thought that, and that's why she wouldn't let me lift weights earlier. I see. She thought, you know, it was going to stunt my growth. I'm going to be four four foot seven if I start training, you know, <laughs> when I'm a kid or something. And that the 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 danger there, where that kind of it's sort of it's basically a misnomer. There's no evidence when that direction is that kids who do have uh, growth plates that haven't quite fused, there's potential for a break there. Okay. So you know, you break a growth growth plate, and the hip will be a bad place you can end up disturbing the natural longitudinal growth of the long bones. And then, you know, you can end up being, you know, having a, an issue there that might need to be surgically repaired, you know, as the person gets older. Gotcha. So there's, there's, but here's the interesting thing. Like, there's an, an old study from like 1990 Ramsey, that was the study. And they took um, boys like age about 11, I think, and started weight training them. And they trained them for I think, like four months and they measured, they actually did a one rep max measurement, um, or maybe they did an estimate at the time. You know, you can get a decent estimate that probably hadn't been validated for, for kids that young, but they, but they got some idea what their one rep max was. And then four months later, they were able to lift their one rep max for 20 reps on average, I think on the leg press. That's crazy. That's all neurological. They didn't, they weren't really gaining any muscle because they didn't have the hormonal milieu for that. And, and plus the normal growth and development meant they're gaining muscle. So the control group you know, grew at the same rate. They're growing so fast anyway. Yeah. Um, growing like a baby. So they're, <laughs> they're gaining muscle quickly. But as far as like, I'm, I'm not bad. Didn't work out um, at least yet for that. That happened to happen to me. But my, my thought has always been kids. If you give them enough choices, they'll figure out what they want to do. You know, they feel, so give them the opportunity. Like, Hey, you want to, you want to come try this? Your dad's doing this. If you like it, you do it. You know, you can always come with me. You know, there'll be a gym here in the house, or you can always come to the gym and show them that, make sure, make sure they know how to do it. And then, I mean, they've got an opportunity. I, I really think um, there's at least as far as strength goes that like, let's say you're, let's say your kid or you would be of average genetics um, and you, you know, you do a study, like you take two identical twins and one starts lifting when, when he's eight and the other starts lifting when he's 18. Who do you think is going to have potentially more muscle and strength by the age of 22 or 25 or even maybe even throughout the rest of the lifespan? The one who, who chimed in a decade earlier. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's a possibility someone could be really good at something, um, you know, and really and thus enjoy it more so to have, you know, potential there. 
that's what, you know, they've, there's all sorts, I think Troy Aikman's dad had him, you know, doing all sorts of throwing stuff, you know, to make him into the quarterback that he eventually became. Like I said, the Eastern block um, folks do that as well. Yeah. So you give you by starting earlier, languages are a perfect example. There's a cool video of a, it's like six, I think. And both her parents speak like four or five languages because they live various places and they grew up in, she literally, she speaks, this girl speaks eight languages, I think, mm. and fluently at her age level. And they bring her up on the stage. And I feel a little bit, you know, it's like they're making a, you know, a circus act out of her a little bit, but she was very, it didn't seem, it seemed okay the way they did it. And she goes, they set up, they had children of her age from around the world and they set up like a little market on the stage. And she goes over and she had, she had a task of gathering groceries from these little mini world markets that were, that are headed by children from those countries. So she goes up to the, the girl from Jap- Japan and she orders like, you know, some, some Japanese sushi or something like that. And then, then she goes to the ho- kid from Hungary and she a- asks for some Hungarian vegetables. And then she moved, she, she spoke all the languages because your brain can do that. And your nervous system can do that. So, if they give them an opportunity, but ex- I'm, I'm for exposing kids to as many things as as possible and let them figure out what they want to do. Um, and then the, if they like it, like I said, with the learning thing, if they enjoy what they're doing and they grab hold of it, oh, they can become a master. You know, they've got the advantages. So I don't think there's any dangers there. You just don't want kids to max out. There's no reason to like, you know, produce singles and doubles. You know, I'm not, that's what you might do for like Olympic weightlifting and some, you know, those people I, I will, I defer to their expertise there. Cause that's what you'd have to do for that particular sport. But for the average recreational kid, let them have fun, you know, play with a uh, play with the weights. And if they like it and they want to keep doing it, then I'm for it for sure. Yeah. I suppose, yeah. I suppose that that warning probably come from some kid who got hurt at one point in time, maybe kids over time have gotten hurt. And so yeah. adults would say, don't do it if you're a child, because this will happen because they know of those, uh, those anecdotal cases that happen, but that could happen with a lot of things, right? I mean, if you play football yeah. from the time that you are a kid, you're, you're going to possibly have football related injuries, right? If you play golf yeah. from, from a very small or a very young age, you're going to have some, you know, some golf-related shoulder problems and and maybe hip problems and things like that. So yeah. probably could just depend on on whatever you do. If you do it so much, that repetition is probably going to cause some some problems. Yeah, yeah. Swim, swimmers and shoulders and tennis players and shoulders. Um, that's the one thing. My friend, she's got her shoulders have been a problem. She did both of those. So. But uh, I, I think literally the thing with weight training is if you're doing it properly and you're, and you're, you're not just like doing all bench and no pulling movements and you, you also have flexibility work built in there, um, you can you can be and you're very proactive on preventing any overuse types of injuries. Because what you mentioned there, those examples, a lot of them are overuse types of things, mm-hmm. the same movement over and over again. Weight training can be very, very balanced um, if you do it properly. So that's the that's an advantage there although it is still a highly stressful uh and engaging form of exercise so um yeah it does have that so you just got to be pretty smart like with most yeah like i got a six month old at home right now so one, by the time he's one yeah. i'm gonna start on some muscle rounds probably and we'll see how he turns out <laughs> right <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, it'd be interesting. Um, I'm not trying to like give you unsolicited parental advice, but it's interesting just to see like if he, cause he'll, he'll see what you do. Yeah. You know, like, do you have a gym at home or do, would he be have an opportunity just to see you lift there uh, at the house? Pro- probably not. I don't, I, I go to the gym. I don't normally do much stuff at home. Okay. But. Yeah. I'm just, he would, I mean, he would probably just be naturally inclined and curious to see what dad's doing Yeah. and want to go do it, you know? Yeah. So I don't think there's any harm in that. Just, you know, safety, safety first. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. Yeah. You kids have a natural, they have a tendency for curiosity. I mean, that's how they learn. That's how they grow and develop. And so, um, the example that we set oftentimes it, at least sets them on a, on a general track for, for their life and their lifestyle. So he's, he's definitely going to be watching and, and seeing if you're any good at disc golf and, and if you're, you know, <laughs> how, how you're, yeah. how, how he's going to ch- be checking your form when you're, yeah. when you're uh-huh. uh, lifting those dumbbells. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fam- I mean, family of origin is so important for so many, you learn so much, you know, uncontent. I mean, it, like in the, my years of therapy and just, I know, I mean, I have a genetic proclivity for both of my parents to, to do what I do now professionally, be the way that I am. And, but having grown up in the Midwest, like there's something to say for that. Like that's, I know that's a part of who I've become is just having grown up in a small town in the Midwest as opposed to New York city or another country or what have you. But man, from your parents, like I learned so much um, about just how to behave with people and how to interact with people. And it wasn't even, even expressly taught. I just, picked up on this is what you do it's just a sort of a form of mimicry so yeah you'll have to like i mean this is this is something that's talked about even like in the context of um and i've i've had clients that have told me about this talk to especially women um who have as girls watched their mothers who were really overly um interested they wanted to make sure they're they were perfect and that their outward appearance, you know, matched the the Western ideal for beauty. So lots of makeup and like lots of primping and, you know, and all of that. And, and so they took that on as like, that's how I need to be. I need to be like mom, you know, mm-hmm. and you imagine another, and I've had actually a few girlfriends and friends who, whose parents were like hippies, you know, and like no shaving, no makeup, no nothing like, and they have a very different perspective on, you know, what you need to do to go out. It's like, as long as I'm not naked, I'm good. Right. (laughs) (laughs) doesn't matter. So yeah, all that stuff gets picked up on without a doubt, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I I grew up as a diehard St. Louis Cardinals fan, you know, and baseball, it seems like is just ingrained in my DNA. (laughs) It just seems like it's in the blood, but really it's not, you know, Uh, I looked up to my father and loved him very much, and he absolutely loved baseball. And so we spent a lot of times uh, enjoying baseball together and sharing that that you know that kind of passion toward that. And so, looking back, I know that's why I actually uh, am, am so inclined to love baseball like I do because he did, and and because yeah. it's something that I grew up with and we shared. And so it's part of my development. And right. any, anything can be like that. Um, unfortunately a lot of, you know, negative things, if, when we're not careful, we can ingrain in our kids, but it's a lot of it can be positive. It can be a good thing. It's like a comfort endeavor, not a comfort food, but a comfort endeavor for you. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Yeah. You always have a good vibe with baseball, Mm -hmm. you know, regardless of politics, whatever you'll, you'll always sort of see that as in that way. So, yeah. 
Yeah. And regardless if the Cardinals have a terrible season, right? Because <laughs> sometimes right. that happens. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, uh, when it comes to the, the lifting and the sports, Doc, you mentioned, uh, you know, about um, watching the the parents coming up. But what about when we are just needing to get um, training advice or um, – I've, I've noticed this a lot about when I'm going to research – like supplements, like vitamins. Um, a, a newer interest of mine is herbal teas. I just love them, and I've been doing a lot of research for them. Mm-hmm. And as I'm researching on the Internet, you know, I've noticed that there's a lot of pitfalls. There's a lot of ways for people to go astray, um, even just by not knowing what not to uh, search for can oftentimes lead us astray. And this can this can be for physical training, for, for supplementation, for nutrition, all of that. So, how do you how would you advise someone who's not um, they don't have access to uh, a lot of knowledge and and research information? Like say they didn't go to university and they don't have that kind of background, that kind of pedigree, but they also just don't have that kind of experience, or they don't know somebody like you to guide them in the right direction. In, in a lot of times, how does somebody start? Just basically researching on the internet without going down a bad rabbit hole it is fraught with rabbit holes you're (laughs) right yes (laughs) um looking and trying first of all kind of a first step would be if it's something just completely outside your your frame of reference you know it's totally new for you try to figure out what it means to be an authority if you want to judge someone as an authority you would trust in that area and then Start with those sorts of people. Now, not that you want to just trust authorities. You want to trust authorities who are experts in those areas mm-hmm. who have credentials to some degree. Because, I mean, regardless, someone who's spent decades of their lives learning something, you know, someone who runs a tea shop, who studied teas in China for years, you know, been to India 45 times gathering teas, and they're going to know more than you. Um, so, that's because it's an interesting thing. The internet is a beautiful, it's the world's largest library. It's just amazing. And an example I've heard is imagine, you know, a doctor uh, just has the internet He's a physician and someone comes in and they have um, a headache, let's say. And the doctor says, you're going to look up potential. I'm, I'm missing something as far as headaches. So they're going to look, they just go and they, they find WebMD or what have you. And they find headaches. And they read through and they know what all those terms mean. And they're like, it's not that, it's not that, I ruled that out. They, they go through the fifth, and they figure out, okay, you know, um, uh, this could be a cranial nerve related scenario because they've also got these other sim- symptoms. And you don't know, you, you go to headache and the first thing you find is, oh shit, I've got brain cancer. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's, because that's what. The algorithms on Google will throw to the front because that's the thing that jumps out at people. Uh-huh. So you're, you know, next thing you know, you're thinking you need to got, you know, you need like 15 different T's or whatever. So finding someone who's done the legwork for you, so to speak, who is an expert who you can trust. And that's the hard thing is knowing who to trust. Mm-hmm. I think these days is at least a good step. Um, so I've written articles. I've got a whole chapter in my book on sort of being a good, um, being a smart and critical thinking consumer, the thing I think that is a phenomenon to watch out for with anything you know nothing about is to suspect 
that your lack of knowledge means that your com or it's, there's it's an unconscious effect, I guess you could say. There's probably there's probably a term psychologically for this phenomenon, but people sort of relinquish their common sense to others when they feel like they're overwhelmed with information. And they like, as an example, I get lots of inquiries through Instagram. I try to respond to everyone. I had someone um, ask me, how do I figure out which supplements? very similar to this question, actually. How do I figure out which supplements to take? Because I'm taking everything and I've just, he's just gradually been reading things to say, this works great. And this works great. And this is super anabolic and that's super anabolic. And so he just keeps on adding to the grocery list. And he's like, he's spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars every month. And finally, he realized I don't need these things, you know, and so he's relinquished his, his own common sense. It's kind of hit him finally, you know, when he's paying out all that money and he's, you know, takes him 30 minutes to get all the supplements in, mm. spending more time swallowing pills than cooking food. For <laughs> is you can take a step back and say, OK, what 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 makes sense? And a, a good thing that can happen. I do this for instance, with my mentor, Gary Dudley, um, for my Ph.D., I imagine his voice in my head or imagine somebody like your dad, maybe, or someone who um, was a, was a voice of reason, what they would say. And let's say it's the guy with all those supplements and he's got like his grandfather was, what, what the hell are you taking all those supplements for son? You're not, you don't eat shit. Like when was was the last time you ate all your meals? Right. He might say that to him. He can imagine that, Mm. you know, but he couldn't say that to himself necessarily. But you can easily imagine that outside voice telling you those things. So finding that export or fi- and so that you can trust and then finding a way to fuse that with common sense. Um, most experts will try to sell you something um, in the fitness world when it comes to supplements, just because it's an important thing. There is examine.com. I don't know if you've heard of them before, but I'm not. phenomenal resource. Really? Yeah, they it's funny because they've done this a couple of times. I've, I know the people, there's a, a guy, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name right now. But he, he basically was just lost the sea of info and misinformation. And um, he started the site maybe a decade ago just to try to have a like a like um, an unbiased source of scientific information about health supplements. And that's, that's basically what they do now. It's completely unbiased. And he's... Oh, I can't see. I can see him in my mind's. I just can't remember his name. Um, but he sort of funded this thing because he became a, um, a self-made millionaire years before that, and it's and it survives and persists. And like every every every, every once in a while, a couple of times on April Fools, they've I've gotten the email blast that says we've decided to let ourselves be sponsored by Amazon or some shit like that. <laughs> and then the next day, it's like April Fools. We're never doing that. They don't support any supplement company. They don't sell anybody's brand. They're not connected to anybody. Mm. They just give you the science. It's all right there. And they have all the links and the whole thing. And it's a phenomenal sort of examine.com. It's, it's an absolute gem. It's a must have in the, in the fitness space for that sort of information. Yeah. So let's say it's teas. You know, I'm, you might say, are you, are you just curious about teas? for intellectual reasons, or do you have something you want to like some health things you want to try to address with teas or what, what about teas floats your boat? It, it's just kind of a, a new thing. I'm just exploring the different uh-huh. options and, and the values of the different herbal teas, you know, and it, it's something that Colton and I have discussed a little bit 
um, like for instance, a detox tea. Okay. So okay. when I thought about a detox tea, I wasn't thinking weight loss. I was thinking just a de- I've got toxins in my body. I know I do need to get rid of them. So, um, and then we had a discussion that that kind of triggered, um, and e- even a, a post, a Facebook post that said, you know, detox teas are, are, are bull crap, you know, they don't, they don't work. Um, but there was an intuition that I had that, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking they, they are good for something. And so I went and I started to do my research and, and found the value that this detox tea has is not that it is this magical formula, which, you know, I never really thought that it was, but I hadn't put enough deep thought into it to really examine what it was I was looking for. Um, right. So I got this tea and, and I went and I, I looked at the ingredients list. And so I started doing my own research on these ingredients, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so, for instance, to give you a little idea about where this this whole rabbit hole for me started, you know, I would go and I, the first thing I would Google is benefits of. Well, it struck me as I was getting these these uh, these web results that when you search for the benefits of, you're going to find only the benefits of. So it's going sure. to be kind of a biased result that you're going to get, right? As right. opposed to just looking for studies and then maybe you know going to to Google Scholar or going to PubMed and something like that and and doing the research for yourself to find out what is really going on with the ingredients within this tea, right? Um, And Mm -hmm. so I started to learn that the ingredients themselves actually support the organs that do the detoxing within the body, right? So certain certain herbs will support your liver. Certain herbs are are more of a support for your cardiovascular system. And that that is what they mean by a detox. So when you do come across an an item that says, you know, you lose 20 pounds in, in 30 days or whatever through this detox tea, you know they're probably selling you some kind of snake oil or just overhyping what they right. actually have, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so that's where the rabbit hole kind of went down for me. But now I'm into all kinds of herbal teas. I'm looking for the antioxidants and green tea. Really interests me, you know, to, to to fight that oxidative stress that we have in our bodies because that's something that, of course, is a disease causer um, and that causes a lot of cancers, inflammations in the body. And so naturally, I want to try and fight those things. Um, and I just have a taste for herbal tea too. So it's just kind of something that piqued my interest. And right. I, I found a kind of just a track that I, I am, I'm having fun going down it. Right. I, I'm learning at the process and I get to drink some, some different kinds of teas, um, right. to just kind of, cause I like it. I don't know. I, I got a taste for it. And so you yeah. forgot, you forgot to tell them that you're turning into a hippie too. Well, I, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> That's all right. Well, here, here's something that is maybe um, more kind of generic, but it's based on what you said that the listeners could use to kind of think of that question. One of the things you said is that you you know you have toxins in your body. So you had an underlying assumption that you made. And then from what, what you said, you that sort of became reframed to say that there are organs that detoxify the body. And you reframe what it meant to be um, to be a detox tea, mm-hmm. because I mean you could look at you know various things that are toxins that may or may not stay that are for instance lipophilic that are stay loaded in the fat cells for for years or what have you. But we often have an underlying assumption, and if especially if you're not trained as a scientist, um, the question this is a Dudley thing. Speaking of, show me the data. It's what he used to always say. So if, if you say, you know what, we have toxins in our body, right? And if there's any question mark, it's like, what are, what body, what toxins are, stay in our body for a long time? 
you, literally, you could probably start t- what toxins, and then the rest of that question would probably be autofilled by Google because uh-huh. it's been asked. <laughs> yeah, and you can fi- start finding answers to those things. Um, and even when the scientific literature, you can read that. Some people get scared off by, you know, reading a scientific literature because you know they they use you know, abbreviations for the journal name and there's lots of long words they don't understand, but you can, you can glean the basics of there. As long as it's in your, in your native tongue, you can understand what's said for the most part. You may not be able to, you know, critically analyze the experimental design or the statistical methods or, you know, the methodology in some way, shape or form, but you can get the gist of what was said and done there. And people give up that basic common sense and intelligence and you can just keep on asking more and more questions. But the thing is, I think we often, we just forget. We don't question our own assumptions because there's so many things like, at least in the things that I feel like I'm somewhat informed about exercise physiology and bodybuilding related things, what I get from our, our natural or common media um, every day, you know, the lay press is just, it's 99% garbage terrible misinformation they miss things i try to find original studies i'll see like posted someplace you know such and such does this has this effect i'm like oh that probably interesting study so i load the link and then i see a study was performed university of pennsylvania so i click there and it just goes to upenn.edu i'm like well that's not going to help me you know so i go i google the story and i try to find the author I may have to spend a half an hour just trying to find the original source. Mm. They don't provide that information for you. That's the original information. Otherwise it's the telephone game. Yeah. It's, you know, scientists took this and I've even had friends who were, who were reporters for the lay press. Some of whom they were, they had, they were journalism majors and they're talking about, you know, everything from quantum mechanics to molecular biology, to oncology, to, all sorts of scientists that, that are way out. They never even had a class in biology and they're reporting on this stuff. So, I mean, it's not their fault that they can't be accurately represent the science. They're trying to make a readable story that get, that garners your interest. That is clickbaitable, you know, it's clickbait to some degree. Absolutely. Cause that's what runs the deal. So the information, it's a, it's a nice, like, oh, that could be an information, interesting piece of information, but what you find in so many places like I'm in sites too, they're trying to sell you teas or what have you, um, is not going to give you the real deal. It's not going to feed you the real deal in many cases. You have to dig a little bit deeper, and it's it's a matter of how willing you are to do that. And my take on it is that that's it's misinformation. Very very often, it's like it'd be like you know, my brother had a buddy in high school who knew a guy whose uncle told him <laughs> that his, his long lost cousin had this happen to him. It's like, that doesn't mean anything to me. Like that information is just yeah. hogwash, but I want to look up the phenomenon and I'm going to see if I can find some original information. And that's the way to go, go with that. And you will not find there is a, just, it's literally. So in the, in the, in the world of academia, in a university setting, if someone, a student submits a paper and they, um, they have resources, sources at the end of the paper they don't cite, that can be considered an, ac- an, inf- an, an infraction mm-hmm. academically. Right. Or if they, if they take lifted information from scientific sources 
And of course, they don't cite those. That can also be an infraction, um, especially if you figure out they've done that because you go to those sources and find that. It could be, it could be outright plagiarism, perhaps. But you don't see in the lay press that they accurately represent their sources. You can't. This is what I was explaining and having to dig around. And that means that that immediately tells me that um, there's that's just laziness in my mind. Is that like, come on, that like this is the actual study. This this professor who you interviewed for this story put thousands of hours probably into this experiment with every writing the grant and getting the money and you know, assigning the people to do it and analyzing the data and rewriting and rewriting and resubmitting an hour of a year of peer review. Finally, the study gets out and you bam, two sentences that misrepresent the findings of the study. You don't even cite the study. Yeah. It's like, Oh, that's horrible. <sighs> so that's what happens so very often. So I say that, you know, it's, I see it all the time, but if people see it from that perspective, it's like, okay, this is kind of cool. You know, it's like, there's something, there's something, um, you know, kind of uh, sparkly there in terms of that. What that sounds like a cool tea. I'm going to look up kombucha tea and see what that is. Uh-huh. You know, or I'm going to look whatever green tea you found. You know, gunflower green tea. I love gunflower green tea, for instance, and look that up. But you, but you're not going to find the information there that's trustworthy very often in that first Google worthy source. You have to dig and dig and dig. But that's where the fun is. So. Yeah. It's it's fun for some, I suppose. You know, <laughs> no, I, right. I I find it fun too, to a degree. I do. I like yeah. to do the research and and to get to the bottom of things. It it you know finding out the the right way to do that. You know, and, and for mm-hmm. the layperson who's not going to do that, you know, if if the general if, if the internet in general, especially advertisements, got dinged for for plagiarism, which would be not you know including a source. <laughs> right yeah oh yeah everybody yeah. would be in trouble right yeah yeah and, and so not everybody even probably they don't want to go through the the task of of finding out what is actually in the process of of detoxing your your organs mm-hmm. um they're not going to look to see if this if this claim that this company is making is is crap in the first place they're not going to they're not going to dig to find out they don't have the kind of time they don't have the the yeah. desire or the, the motivation or whatever uh, and yeah. so it's it's just an open like it's it's open open field for anyone who wants to just sell the you know the next snake oil and say it does this and that for you and so it makes it kind of difficult but I would uh, definitely advise anyone to do just a little bit of research find out what it is you're putting in your body and I haven't always been that guy I I, I got to admit <laughs> it hasn't always yeah. been me a lot of times I've taken the label for what it says and okay this is good for me. You know, so right. I would say there's no other culture than bodybuilding, like bodybuilding culture when it comes to that. People who just have a cabinet full of stuff that they probably don't really know what they're taking or what it's actually doing for them. Yeah. You know, I just looked on Examine. They have a um, uh, a section on do I need to detox? They cover these kinds of questions on oh, that nice. site. Sweet. Yeah. So perfect. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't miss what you're saying too about bodybuilders. Yeah. We're the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> saying you in general. Yeah. yeah no, <laughs> he was I mean, a point of your favorite. I've, I've tried all sorts of things. I just like try everything just yeah. because I, it's part of my business in a way, yeah, you know, true. Right. golfers are pretty bad too. They've got lots of gimmicks in golf. I know that oh, my really? dad was a golfer. <laughs> oh man. So many things like everything's going to turn you into, you know, uh, 
um, you know, a scratch golfer, you know, you just need this little thing for your wrist or like this uh, new training system or thing to hold your elbow in the right position or whatever. Gotcha. Yeah. They're, they're crazy. <laughs> it's funny. Like the, the telephone game phenomenon is like, so you reminded me of something I hadn't thought of for a while. This was like a couple of years ago. I was at a, one of the gyms here in town that I, I train at. And there were three people that I, I, I knew all of them actually just from the gym. I never, I didn't, I never conversed with all of them together, but I conversed with, I cursed all of them at different times. And I was going over to say hello and they were training and I heard them talking and they were, they were talking about doing a muscle round and they were saying, you know, you do a muscle round this way, do a muscle round this way. And, and I was just sort of listened, you know, and I, I said, I said, where'd you guys learn about that muscle round thing? And they weren't even sure. They didn't even know, like they were talking about a fortitude training muscle round. Right, my training yeah. system. <laughs> right. And they know me. Like I was, I was like, I was like, seeing them like every other week and says, Hey, how you doing? Like, start. And they didn't realize where that information came from because it, and this isn't because, you know, my information spread so far and wide it's because it, the sources get lost Yeah. so easily. Oh, I thought that was real. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, those muscle rounds. Are, I don't think I even told them like the muscle rounds thing are pretty cool. You know, uh-huh. you guys ever ha- have any questions on those? You know, I, I know a little about them, so, like, <laughs> okay, cool. like, you know, so it's very, very funny. See, so, I don't think, I don't think I could have done that. Like you took the ego out of it. I would, I think I would have had to walk up and be like, um, you want to know about this? I, yeah. I think I can, I think I can share my, my wisdom here. Yeah, no, I, you know, <laughs> um, they were doing, they're having fun doing what they're doing. And I think I maybe showed one of them later, like another day or something like that. But yeah, it was just like, it was awesome. I thought it was hilarious. It was really <laughs> funny. So yeah, that, that was a, yeah, there's a lot of, that was an interesting gym, but that was, uh, that was just like, wow, it's, it was the, that, that phenomenon was just so, um, so bizarre. Cause they all followed me on Instagram too. Oh. I followed them back. Like these are people that I knew they were, they're acquaintances. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was just really kind of. I mean, it's it's fantastic. it's kind of cool that that your information made it that far to yeah. people that even though they knew you didn't know that you did this. So that means that it has made it out there and then back around to them. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's. I mean, it's funny too. Like, like you can, as I say, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Um, then there's, you know, I I like to provide that information about like examine.com. It's there. Um, or that, you know, you can, you can find, you can go to scholar.google.com and find the research papers and, you know, it's a pain in the butt. I'm like, I'm good at finding stuff on the internet. It's a pain in the butt to find original papers. A lot of times it literally could be 15 minutes or a half an hour for me to find something. So I'm going to expect people to do that. But, um, it's very often I have literally, I have given people my card in the gym get asked questions and about what I'm doing sometimes or various things. And I say, Hey, I, I cover this in my fortitude training book, send me an email. Um, and I'll send you a free download of the book. And I, I think it's only happened twice in maybe like six or eight years that someone actually emailed me. And the one guy I can remember, um, he did email me like the next day and I sent him the download to the book and then I would see him every once in a while and i'd say hey did you get a chance to check he'd ask me some questions like did you download the book he's like no i didn't didn't do it and he never did he just never got it you know <laughs> and then the download expired then i then i didn't see him again but it was right there right there available for them so um 
there's got to be like, you know, that curiosity there or something that really is enough to make people realize the value in, in knowing that because like you kind of don't know what you're missing sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're spending a bunch of money, like it does satisfy an itch to think, you know, I'm covering all my bases because I'm spending all my money on supplements, for instance. And, and if you don't know that you're potentially wasting a lot of money, um, but you are getting a, a good feeling out of feeling like you're covering all your bases and you're doing everything, then, you know, you're getting, you're meeting needs, so to speak, feeding your, your reports in a certain way. And you don't know because you don't know what you're doing, what you're missing. You know, you don't know what's on the other side of the wall if you've never looked around into that room. So, so people don't know to do that. And I can't expect them to. You can just sort of say, hey, you know what? You would be really surprised if you looked on the other side <laughs> to figure out what's going on there. But that's all you can do to some degree. You yeah. Know? Yeah. 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 You said it right. All you can do is uh, lead them to water, you know, and, and yeah. it, it's like what's happened for me is I, I've oftentimes been that horse. Right. And I've been led to, you know, certain waters. Um, I, but it's still, yeah, I have to, I have to have insight into the fact that that's water, you know, if that makes any sense, I have to have insight that there is something like you said on the other side, like on the other side of the curtain, so to speak, you know, you you don't know what you're missing until you figure out that you're missing that thing. And then it kind of opens up and a light bulb turns on and, and, and I have to, like you said, you can't expect everybody to have that. And so you can't yeah. expect everybody to do that research, but I love it for myself when those light bulbs come on, when I know there is something on the other side of that curtain, therefore, mm-hmm. um, then I, then, then, and only then I know to pull the curtain back and to look right. on the other side. Uh, and sometimes that's the most difficult thing to get people to do in myself included, throw myself right under the same bus. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's all these sort of trite phrases, you know, it's the journey, not the destination, you know, those, those sorts of things. But you have to enjoy the path getting to where you're going because all you have is the current moment. You know, you, so you have to figure out some way to make it enjoyable. And I've said this, I may have said this on this podcast, it's repeated over and over again, but it, an exercise, a very famous exercise psychologist once said he was the world's foremost expert on exercise adherence, like trying to figure out how to get people to exercise. And he finally gave up on that that line of research because he figured out that we're creatures of immediate gratification. Yeah, we really so much are. So you tell someone, you know, this is the way. I, here's an example that that kind of popped in my head. I'm, and we talked about this a little bit before the, the program too. I'm so people have figured it out. I'm learning German. I've done some podcasts in German. I'm trying to make my German better. So I spend a lot of my day in Scott's little Germany. I listen to when I'm walking my dogs, I talk to them in German. Um, I have um, what the words in English, uh, self conversations. So I listen to a podcast, like a bodybuilding one. And when a question's a- asked, I pause, I answer it myself. Um, I do this while I'm cleaning, while I'm packing, I'm getting ready to move. So I've been packing things up. Um, when I'm doing just the things that you would be doing when you, you could be, listening to nothing i'm i'm using my phone as an as an instrument to recreate what it would be like if i were living in germany as i i did years ago as a foreign exchange student and that's been tremendously helpful and i've talked about that and what i see on many of these i'm on like every german meetup group i can find and i pay for another one and so i'm on you know doing this all the time 
and I'm seeing people and now I'm getting, I've been on doing this for maybe half a year or so. And I'm seeing, you know, there's no change in the German language ability of the people that are there. And even some of those who are paying for some of these services. And, and I've, I've said, and they've, they're noticing it with me too. They're like, look, what's going on with this guy? Like, how's he doing this? Because most, especially in some of the groups, they're all in Germany, but they're in situations where they can't, they don't feel like they can speak German throughout the day. And I'm in the States. And the trick is just immersing yourself in the language. And it's fun. I, I really like doing it. And I'm learning about like this Manfred Spitzer stuff. Like it's fascinating information. So I want to learn about this and I want to do this. So I'm enjoying the journey. And these folks, it's not that they don't want to be able to speak better German. This isn't, I'm sort of generalizing just to kind of make the point because not everyone does this. But mm-hmm. I've, I've said like, hey, like it's not the one hour, you know, that or two or three hours that you meet with someone, it's what you're doing, you know, 10 hours, 15 hours, 20 hours, literally five hours every day when you could be just, you're washing the dishes, you're making dinner, you listen to the news, you know, and you do your best just listening to things. I don't watch any movies. Like, like I don't have TV, but I just watch like a little bit of Netflix before I conk out. Like a bit Saturday night for me is I'll watch like one of the Marvel movies, which are badass, (laughs) but in German. Okay. Yes, yeah, oh, so I've watched wow. all of them. You know, I'm watching the Bob Bo, Boba Fett thing in German. I'm watching The Witcher in German. I just finished the, the season of The Witcher. It's badass. You know, I love this stuff. That's total. Like, it's like kind of you know, it's just you know, mindless entertainment in a way. But it's all I do it all in German. Gotcha. And that's that's the way. And so, but the folks who they don't they don't they don't they, that wouldn't be enjoyable for them because it's we've had these conversations. So that's the thing. It's like. Like you're into tea or you're like you're really into fitness. It's like gotta figure out a way to like be into the learning about fitness, not just trying to get to looking like the Instagram guy yeah. that you that your that your you know your goal, so to speak, but figuring out what it is to do along the path, because the path is exci- has to be exciting too. Mm-hmm. And then you're good. If you never look like, you know, Mr. Olympia or what have you, then then that's okay because you did all you could along the way and you enjoyed it. And that's that's all you got anyway. So it's true for like, you know, digging in on stuff. You're finding that, you know, sometimes it's a pain, but if you can figure out how to make yourself curious, you can find out. Everyone's got curiosity about something, I think, mm-hmm. you know, and it's finding that that is really um, can be the magic and just in life in general, I think, you know, yeah, you, you, always something out there. Yeah. Do you have any aspirations to, of being able to like do us in seminars or anything like that in Germany, like to where you could go over there and do everything in German? Yeah, that's we're that's what we're talking about doing. Yeah. Wow. I mean, we've we've done um, like we we're we didn't record one of the um, co-hosts got sick, but we're we're doing going to do a roundtable. I've done five pod four or five podcasts now. Yeah. In German, and talking about you know various bodybuilding ways. We're going to talk about Peak Week. Nice. Um, there was a, a, a summary paper that um, Guillermo Escalante was the first author. Several of us were on that paper. It was uh, Chris Barricat, Alan Aragon. You may have heard about this Brad Schoenfeld guy. He was yeah. on the paper. Yeah, we, made, we put together this monster Peak Week paper that got published last year. Um, so it's really it's kind of the first of its kind in the in the scientific literature. Nice. So I've done a bunch of podcasts. Like there's a slew of podcasts that came out after that. Guillermo did a bunch. Chris did a bunch. I did a bunch. Um, but Germany, no one's doing that stuff. 
So we've done, that's what we did a part one. We're doing part two. So yeah, that's the idea. And that's like, that's a, that's a challenge. I bet. <laughs> that's a challenge, man. Cause when I learned German, I didn't know anything. I wasn't an exercise physiologist. That was when I was in college, I was studying physics and German. And then I went to grad school and you know, German you know, for 30 years. So now it was a bit of a, a mind teaser there because I'm like, okay, I know this information really well. This is what I do. I, I provide bodybuilding brain candy. I can, you know, just come up with all sorts of stuff that people like to listen to me talk about, but I don't know what these words are in German yet. (laughs) I got to look this, these basic words up, which was like, okay, it was like really wonderful to be like a noob all over again. Now I'm back to full blown. I don't know Jack Diddley. I really don't. I don't know. Like, the word for cell nucleus yet. I need to learn that, you know? Uh-huh. And that was, that was for me, like, it, it wasn't really all that frustrating. It was fun. It was like, okay, this is, this is a challenge, you know? And I like that. Like that's, that floats my boat. Hmm, right. Yeah. That's the idea is to go. And they, all the Germans speak, you know, they speak better English than my German. Most of them. Oh, okay. So we can do things in German or in English. Um, but I'll do them in German. Um, and they appreciate that too, as yeah. well, because it's it's unusual. You don't most Americans, because we don't have. I mean, there's people don't grow up bilingual in German. It would be Spanish and English in most cases here, right? And so you don't have many Americans who speak German very well. So they they appreciate someone who's taken the time. So, but yeah, that's the that's the goal. Be awesome once the pandemic allows. Yeah, yeah, yeah that true. Cool. That's fantastic. Doc, we yeah. really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, I don't, you've probably noticed that my connection has, has not been good. Um, oh, it was fine for me. It wasn't good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So I was hoping your experience wasn't, wasn't terrible. We, we love having uh, you on here. So maybe, just maybe, we shouldn't wait for another two years <laughs> this time around. All right. That's Before I'm, you come back on, man. man. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'll always enjoy talking with you. I, I, I know I probably speak for Colt too, but just talking with you, I, I'm always left inspired. I'm always left with with oh, more man. information, and uh, you just uh, you're you're an uplifting guy, man. And you love what you do just about more than anybody else that I know <laughs> who loves what they do. Uh, and, and you're just yeah. uh, you're a lot of fun to talk to, man. We always appreciate having you on. And uh, like I said, we definitely don't want to wait another two years. This you guys around. are great. Yeah, you know it's. I've done, I do a lot of podcasts, but you guys, maybe it's because we're both, we're all Midwesterners, you know, all three of us, but um, yeah, you guys just, you're just like, a, it's a good, I want to say wholesomeness. That sounds almost too nerdy, but you guys are just like, <laughs> you're just authentic, like in a really genuine, that's the word I think. Okay. You're genuinely good people. And I really, really appreciate that. So yeah, it's nice to just have, so for you guys to want to have me on, you know? Right. And I got to figure out how to restructure my algorithm so I can see more of your stuff because I don't, the algorithm, well, now my algorithm's all German stuff. Like, I don't see anything. Like, <laughs> You're not ah. going to find us there. I was going to say yeah. that. Now we know the yeah. trick, though. We got to start recording some things in German and we'll get your attention a little more. <laughs> I, You know, I even have friends who are sending me stuff in German. I found some things, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was a really, and you, it's in English. There was a really interesting thing. And I don't want to go into like the topic that'll get us in trouble, but there was a guy, um, a German who was a, um, was kind of a programmer information specialist. 
And he started digging in and I've listened to part of this and you can find it. I don't even know the guy's name. I can't remember, but I could send you guys the link if you like. Yeah. And he'd started digging in on all the connections between high ranking people, for instance, like Bill Gates being one of those people and how they're intertwined with one another. And he developed basically a, a schematic showing the interconnection and the flow of money between governmental and non-governmental organizations. Um, and he's, he does a, a, a anonymous interview oh, wow. because he doesn't want to be known yeah, right. <laughs> exactly who that is, but it was in German, which was very cool. And it's been translated in English too. Um, so that's a, like a, it was a very interesting, you know, and, and he, you know, it's the first thing he says, he's like, I'm not a big conspiracy guy. You know, I just started digging in on the data and it's, he's a, it's a very, um, it's a, in my opinion, he comes across as a very trustworthy source and it's just peaceful. So you can look all this up, but the guy interviewing him, you know, he's thinking like, this sounds really conspiracy. Like this is really kind of <laughs> off the wall. It's like, where'd you get this? He's like, this is just the information. You Google this, you'll find this. You Google this, you find it was all freely available. He didn't hack anything. He didn't do anything. Uh. And he uncovers like this, you know, um, this mo- this network, which you all kind of knew about, but it was finally out in black and white. So um, things cross over. Other interesting things, like there are some things that I've listened to on YouTube in German, in particular stuff in Austrian, and, and they speak with a pretty strong dialect there or, or strong accent. And this was an, it wasn't the di- a dialect, but a very strong accent. I don't think the Google bots or, qu- or the YouTube bots are quite good enough with that accent because what they were talking about in relation to the the pandemic would not have been allowed. It would have been wiped from the English channels right off the bat. Right. Wow. But it's in German. So oh, that's kind of cool. Like I speak the <laughs> secret language, you know, so I can hear what they're talking about. <laughs> so yeah, it is interesting how the, how those algorithms, you know, yeah, that's take a, us where they will. That's a neat secret to know that uh, the algorithms might not be hip on like the German language or accent. And so if you're going to spread some information that might otherwise be, you know, teetering yeah. on, on what they don't want you to, to spread, then that's the way to do it. That's that's another interesting insight. Navajo or Bavarian? <laughs> and there you go. Navajo, did you say, or Bavarian? But a Navajo is the, a code language they use. Yeah. You, know, you heard of this? Yeah. yeah. But Bavar- Bavarian is a dialect that's spoken in southern Germany uh-huh. that most Germans, unless you grew up there, they can't understand. It's a, it's a true dialect. Got you. It's totally unintelligible. <laughs> yeah wow. to, nice. to most germans yeah <laughs> okay yeah yeah there's yeah. a there's a fine line between conspiracy and reality man especially nowadays um yeah exactly so doc thank you again for coming on man we appreciate you My pleasure guys and uh we'll stay in touch and hope to see you again soon sounds good all right recording stopped Cool. I, you guys didn't cut out at all. It was like we didn't good. Yeah, good. not one bit. Was I was I freezing? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The, mostly, mostly it was the uh, visual though. There was you know audio would would kind of um, I don't know. It's hard to explain, but it was trying to cut out a little bit. But the, the the video was really what was was freezing. So I apologize. That that's on my end. I, I've got to get this figured out here. Uh, but I'm glad I didn't, didn't notice anything. Good. I'm glad it didn't affect yeah. your experience during the during the show because you know, it was definitely the audio is great. Um, Colt's good about at least extracting clips. But uh, okay, next time we get you on, we'll definitely have this video figured out because we like to put out the whole video nowadays too. Really trying to 
trying trying to stick to the the vodcast or whatever you call it. The kids are calling it nowadays. You know the <laughs> a vodcast. Yeah, I don't I know. Heard that. Is that it? It's the yeah. vi- the video podcast is what I'm looking yeah. for. So, um, yeah. Have you heard the term um, shma shmambi? <laughs> I can't say that I have. No. <laughs> I think that's what we call it. Mom, zombie me. Uh, this is it was a uh, Man, Manfred Spitzer thing. So this may be they call um sh- smartphone is what a smart a smartphone is in German. Okay. And the kids have have they've recognized what it's doing to themselves. And someone who's like who's just like totally affixed to their phone is a, is a smartphone zombie, a schmambi. Schma- okay. Wow. All right. Yeah. 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 Wow. And that's I'll, yeah they know. I'll try to retain that one. I like that. I like yeah. that. I use that on they, my kids because they can be schmombies. Yeah, don't be a schmombie. Yeah, schmombie. <laughs> yeah. Be like, what did you say to me? Uh huh. <laughs> you could. You could try. How, you have, how many kids do you have? I have two. Two. Yeah. How old are they? Thirteen and ten. Okay, so you could. I guess there's a game that some of them will play because because they they're sort of the kids are smart. It's not like they're getting just like they're just you know. It's not like idiocracy or something like that where they're oh, yeah. just like, you know, blunt idiots. But I, I guess the one of the games that they sometimes will play is like they go wherever they're going to meet, you know, to hang out and they'll all take their cell phones and put them in the middle and then they'll wait and they'll see who the first one is who can't stand and has to pick up his phone <laughs> and that person loses the bet, you know, and has to pay for lunch or whatever. Yeah. And someone picks the phone up eventually. Like they can't resist it. Yeah. yeah I, I bet they, they usually can't wait that long either. Like it's, it's probably... They they have to pick it up within I would probably ten minutes I would say, yeah you know because I I could yeah. sit there without my phone I think I think probably any one of us could okay but mm-hmm. if you go to my kids that generation especially my thirteen year old girl she's got to check to to see you know what's happening <laughs> yeah. on Snapchat or whatever she's on you know right <laughs> I'm I'm happy to put my phone down leave it in the other room and go to bed it's like, oh, something yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've we've talked about that a little bit more recently on the show about how you know I, I I caught myself not because I I intended to be glued to it like I'm not you know my social life isn't so great that I want you know to be on Instagram to share it with everybody all the time. But that I doesn't just, matter. You can make it all up. That that's <laughs> true. That's true. I don't even have enough interest in it to do that though, Doc. <laughs> it's like it's, it's, you just got to be more inventive because you can. It doesn't have to be reality based at all. Absolutely. But, but I just noticed myself kind of like unconsciously just checking my phone all the time. And, and I caught myself. I'm like, what are you doing? It's like that. That I wasn't even really looking at it for anything. I just noticed that it had become a, a reflex. And, and I caught yeah. myself doing that. I, I could like assume, you know, what caused me to do that? What caused that in the first place? But I'm just mm-hmm. glad that I caught it. But, you know, I, I know a lot of people, they probably don't even catch themselves they're not aware of the fact that they're constantly looking at their phone um, yeah. and it's it's just a it's just a reflex robotic movement that we have nowadays it's a sign of the times it's like our brain doesn't want downtime yeah. like it, it wants something all the time so like if you're if you're on commercials on tv you got to have your phone in your hand you know mm-hmm. things like that god forbid somebody takes a poop right without a phone in their hand yeah i, I don't know what would happen these days Read the you, shampoo know, you know what i do that's that's when I do my Instagram. I call it an Insta poop. <laughs> so I, I mean, I'll put up a post like a couple times a week or whatever, you know. That I and I, it's an informative. It takes me a while. It's like an hour long endeavor because I write something up, you know, 
some some phenomenon that I want to describe with maybe a set that I demonstrate something with. But when I answer my messages, it's like it's when I put in the morning I get up, you know, I love on the dogs, you know, sometimes we go outside, if it's nice, blah, blah. Then I come in I'll, when I go to go to the bathroom, like, oh, OK, I bring the phone because otherwise I forget. Usually so, but I've made the habit of insta pooping, and I yeah. sit in there, and I can get. I'm like, and I don't want it to be all day in the bathroom, so I get to my Insta- Instagram messages when I'm in the pooper. So that's how I know how to do it. That's that's fantastic, and it's a way to make your life more efficient. Yeah, really. What it's all about? It's, it's the other way around. Like that's that's when I use the phone is when I'm taking shit yeah. unless otherwise, you know. Right. So. Now we're just going to have that visual every time we see him post something on Instagram. Be like, oh, man. I know what we you're know doing right now. Do it. It's not posts. It's just answering messages. But, you know. Okay. Yeah. If, I've told a couple people that, but they don't know. Like, I'm just responding, you know, to whatever. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So. So, who, have you guys had some good guests on? You're getting good guests. You're going to guess you want? Or um, do you guys need more? I'll try to send people your way if you're interested. Yeah, we'd love to see. Yeah, you know, if you got anybody that's interesting, we'd love to uh, love to get some new ideas. We had, you know, we had a lull there, you know, for a while. Um, we've been doing just a lot of me and Colt um, quite a okay. bit, try, just trying to kind of get things back on track. Um, but we're, you know, we're gearing things up again, um, and, and guests kind of keep things a little more lively and, and keep us on our toes. So, right. um, if you got anybody that's interested that would like to have a platform, man, we'd love to love to see who okay. that might be. All right, I'll, put, I'll, I'll keep thinking. Yeah, I've yeah. got all these German people in my head. I'm trying to get. There's a guy over there, a brilliant dude. Yeah, in Germany. I'm trying to get. You know, Steve Hall's podcast, the um, Revive Stronger. Yeah, we, yeah. yeah, we had yeah. we had him on at mm-hmm. one point. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. We, we oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Steve contacted me once we're going to do another one sometime in the next few weeks, but nice. this guy, uh, Frank Tegar is his name. He's fucking brilliant. Mm. He's, he's badass. I think he speaks really good English. I've never heard him. He's, he's just, you know, rattles off some things here and there. So I haven't heard him you know, present anything in English, but, um, he's like a sharp, sharp, sharp guy. Like he's top. He's like, he's like Eric Helms level, but he knows he's got a very wide breadth knowledge. So awesome. But yeah. I'll, I'll keep I'll keep people in mind. I don't know if he'd want to come to you guys, but um, maybe he would. I don't know. I'll see. But uh, I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep thinking about it. Yeah. Get you guys some. Yeah. Get you guys some more. Yeah. Hey, just right. if, if you just even want to get us a lead, we don't mind following those. You know. Oh, yeah. we, sometimes right I, I follow cold leads, and sometimes it pans out. Just uh, last week was it, or the week before, we had a. a, a chiropractor from texas named uh matt chalmers i believe dr mm-hmm. chalmers was his name yeah uh-huh. and uh followed some of his stuff on on social media ends up man he's a he's a wealth of knowledge he he really was on yeah. point with a lot of okay. he has a holistic approach and um he ended up I, I guess just the the way that he does things is he knows how to direct traffic basically when someone comes to him with a set of problems he can tell you what specialist to go to and, you know, you need just to go to a general practitioner, this and that, and got to talking with him. And my goodness, he, he really was, um, which I knew he was knowledgeable, but he really actually, you know, ex- uh, exceeded expectations with his knowledge. So sometimes what you just never know. What city? No. Was he Houston, maybe? I think it was that area. Um, okay. I know somewhere in Texas. Right. One, one of the major cities in Texas. Um, okay. Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, one of those. Okay. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. 
just just interesting. Sometimes the, the that's once again podcasting. Some of the folks that we meet come across. It's just it makes it all worthwhile. It's it's a good time, yeah. you know, and to learn is, yeah. is always fun. So yeah, there's but, so much like this, so much cool shit that you can dig in, and cool people you can meet on the internet, and yeah. then yeah, it's such a double edged sword. It's just crazy. Yeah, you know. Especially so, nowadays, just with the vitriol of, of the the two sides on things like the pandemic and and the um, um, vaccine and things like that, I, yeah, I don't engage with it much, but I, I track it, you know, to some degree, just so I can see which way right. the wind's blowing. And oh man, uh, it it can cause you a, a personal lot of stress. It does cause a lot of people massive amounts of stress. Yeah, you know, I think we could probably add to the DSM just based off of. The, the, you know, the, the craziness from this <laughs> pandemic and, and the vaccine and yeah uh, we could add some new disorders in there, man. Well, that's the thing that's interesting about Germany too. And Austria is even worse. They're, uh, Austria was pretty much like Australia. Yeah. Um, total lockdown. You know, yeah. Pretty much a total lockdown. They, they've been battling, um, they have a, they call it a 2G rule or a 3G rule that they'll apply in. The G stand for getestes. So either you're vaccinated. The two G rule is the strictest one. You either have to be vaccinated or demonstrate or have an official record that you recovered from COVID, mm-hmm. or you can't go in. You can't be there. You can't go shopping. Whatever. The three G rule is if you you had to have a 24 hour previous test ah. which you passed, and then you could go there. So that like they're all over the place. And that was running for quite a while. They, you had you have they've got they're ahead of us they've got all the electronic records with the barcode and all that jazz yeah um, yeah it's becoming very matrix like you know QR codes go on the back of people's necks soon enough you know yeah yeah the way it's looking it and, is uh, are things calming yeah. down around your area Florida is wide I, I can't say. hardly even notice anything's going yeah, on that's a, that's a good point. Florida he's that's, a, <laughs> that's a good point like did, did you guys even know there was vaccines or COVID or anything down there. Uh, yeah, there's just, I mean, people, about half the people in um, grocery stores, for instance, be wearing masks. And I train at home most of the time. I don't even go into gyms, but you don't have to, people don't wear masks in gyms. Yeah. <clears throat> it's really, um, I went to a wedding last weekend and they asked because the, um, the groom brides, there's some older people that were there who were high risk, high risk groups. They said, you know, if you just do a test, please, you know did fine i was actually hoping that i had gotten covid and just was asymptomatic i went and did a teeth a t-cell test to see my t-cells harbor the dna for the um the antibodies and mm-hmm. they didn't unfortunately i was hoping <laughs> you know that i had naturally acquired immunity um so and i've got you know i this one of my german friends she just about died when she got vaccinated she literally was so she was like incapacitated for like four hours Wow, she couldn't get to, uh, couldn't even get to her phone to dial nine one one if she wanted to to hit her that bad. Mm. So man, yeah. There's a guy named uh, Alway Clemens. He's a German virologist. He wrote a book. Um, it's in German. <laughs> translated <laughs> about six months ago. Um, you could probably find a translate. You could probably get the the download the book and maybe get a translation going on a Kindle. If you guys are interested, I can send you, you know, that information, but, um, very insightful. He goes through the basics of, you know, how the DNA based viruses, MRA DNA based viruses work. Like there was a, there was an HIV, 
um, a DNA-based HIV virus with the same technology as the Johnson & Johnson that was tested in like 2005. And mm-hmm. they, um, they went through the normal testing protocol. They didn't, you know, scrunch everything down. And it took data collection four years before they could retrospectively see that after the 18-month mark, those who'd been vaccinated had a higher risk of contracting HIV. Mm-hmm. Wow. It went the other way. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't because of HIV in anything particular from any of the data that they did. There was something about the nature of that method of vaccination, which made those people more susceptible to, to getting HIV, yeah. which was their only outcome measure. It could have been other things too. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's something, you know, there's some, some really interesting stuff in that book and the guy's, the guy's solid and now he's quiet. He has still has a YouTube channel. He just talks about, you know, various things to help that are the healthy measures you can take like herbs and, you know, various other stuff. It's cool information. Hmm. He doesn't talk about that anymore. Zeros. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but yeah. Uh, it's crazy how that is like that though, man. There's it's it's pretty scary how there's such a push toward this this vaccine. Um, cause my understanding is the mRNA technology was uh, the, the HIV uh, vaccine was the first time they were using this for a vaccine. So it was yeah. originally like kind of, uh, I don't know if it was designed specifically for that, but I think that was the, their first really go at making a vaccine for something. And, uh, mm-hmm. but, th- but they won't let you, they won't let anybody with a big enough platform to talk about it because they, you know, my understanding from some people who, who do have a platform who talk about it, say it's not worth talking about the flip side of things because, it, it's it's we don't want to steer people the other way the wrong way and, and they're very upfront mm-hmm. about that but in my opinion that is still hiding information you know that's yeah. that that's not right you got to give the you got in this day and age the information needs to be out there when it's not you're causing a lot of mistrust and distrust with the population because there's enough of us out here that that think about things and want to know the information and mm-hmm. want to be able to to see what's going on and when you hide that from us then we get suspicious yeah so. Yeah, I don't. I don't entirely trust the scientific information. There's an, another interesting source, RefractionWatch.org. I get their. I get a daily newsletter. They they've got a list of it's it's close to 200 COVID related papers that have been retracted mm. now. Two 200 wow. publications that were previously accepted <laughs> on everything, all all sorts of stuff. Because of misinformation or what have you. Yeah. Um, that happens a lot in the scientific world, more than I was aware of. And this, I mean, that's just the, the nature of what's going on there. And, you know, I get sent all sorts of stuff that's like, that's just like so crazy. You know, aliens brought COVID to the planet or something <laughs> like that. You know, <laughs> it's weird shit. But, you know, like you said, it's, a, it's, there's some stuff is, Obviously, you know, very bizarre, and I'm not even going to really consider that. And then other, it's like this is potentially believable. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, who knows? Was the virus, you know, created in the lab totally on accident, and some other people, or was it being created? And it was, you know, someone directed that it was spilled to make it look like it was inadvertent, or, you know, was it just some opportunistic people running with, you know, this kind of an accident and being prepared to do so? You know, like any, like you can kind of like think of all sorts of gradations down the line that are less and less conspiratorial, um, but still have evil powers that be sort of r- running the show in various ways. But right. 
I'm just starting to trust the scientific information less and less when things just keep on getting retracted. So where do you go from there? Yeah. You know? Yeah. If you can't trust the data, then we're all just up Creek. <laughs> we're left, we're left to, to our conspiratorial notions, you know? Yeah. You're, yeah. Left, you're left to your imagination. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be so conspiratorial. I think a lot of people wouldn't if there wasn't so much of a, a perceived cover up of, of, you know, mm-hmm. information and data and just to know we don't talk about that. You know, when they talk about studies about well, the lack of studies of, of something like ivermectin, you know, OK, mm-hmm. well, that, that makes sense. If you say there's not enough studies, not enough, uh, you know, blind placebo, you know, double blind tests, double blind studies that that we don't have enough information on that. That's fine. Okay, I, I can see that. But when I know that there are some studies out there, maybe there's not enough to you know correlate to efficacy for the medication. But um, mm-hmm. I know there are some out there. You know, you had your Brazil study, and there may have been problems with that study. But that was a lot of people um, who took ivermectin in that one city. I forget the name of the city now, but um, uh, it, it it showed that there was that the drugs seemed to probably be effective. Um, but there, but the part where they just say no, we can't talk about that. Well, that gets me. That's get me. That gets me thinking. You know, that gets mm-hmm. my imagination going right there. It's, it's not the fact that the the study might have had holes and that there were some problems with it. Okay, well, let's talk about that. You know, but I hear now they're they're actually coming out with some studies on some therapeutics, including including ivermectin, which I don't have any any particular care for ivermectin. I don't know what you know enough about right. it. To, you know, stock. Well, yeah, none, I got none. <laughs> it's a generic drug by now, anyway. So any stock yeah. would, wouldn't be any good, but. Um, just the, when they do things like that, and that's just an easy example for me to use because it's been out there in the media so much, the ivermectin, yeah. you know, but um, that, that's what really there's gets a, my gears going. There's a pair of studies I've talked, there's, there's my favorite study that has a in the bodybuilding world, and they, I'll let you guys roll, but um, first they were, they compared, they did a really cool model. They compared, um, uh, let's see, two versus three versus five times a week training. So one leg got trained three sets a day for 10 reps to failure, just knee extensions. The other leg was either two or three times. So they wanted to have basically three conditions, but this was every, every person who trained one leg five times a week and the other leg was two or three times a week. So then they had the three conditions. They wanted to see if whether there's a different, they vary both frequency and volume over the course of like 12 weeks training. And it didn't matter as far as muscle growth went, got the same amount of growth under all three conditions, hmm. right? That's what they reported. That was the study that came out. It's like, okay, well, you know, you didn't like, you could have had kept the volume the same and varied the frequency. That would have been interesting, a better question perhaps regardless. But then they went back and they looked at the data. They looked at the individual responses and they found that about one third of the individuals did much better with the high volume. They, they lumped the two or three times a week together just for the sake of simplicity. About one third did much better five times a week versus two or three times a week. There was another third that didn't didn't matter either way. And the other third of their subjects, two or three times a week was better than five times a week. And they have the individual data points there. And it was there was some substantial differences, like twice as much growth many of those individuals, one versus the other. So for those people, it fucking mattered yeah, big right. time yeah. which way they did things. Uh-huh. So you look at an ivermectin study like that, you know, may have helped for some people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's possible. Right. It's highly possible. So that's what like, you know who Peter McCullough is? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, mm-hmm. I, and I haven't, I've been, everything I've been listening to is in German. So I don't I haven't been listening to him for a while, but <laughs> yeah. like that's, you know, that's the, that's a, the really smart approach is to, 
consider the potential efficacious medications and therapies that you have. And, you know, each one of them might not have been proven efficacious in a meta-analysis, you know, given the statistical analysis of multiple studies, blah, blah, blah. But for individuals, this is where like, you know, high volume doesn't work. Well, it works for some people. Right. I got to use heavy duty. Like it works for some people. So it doesn't, ivermectin may not work for you, but maybe something about you that we don't know that makes ivermectin at least supportive in conjunction with other things. So it does make a difference. Yeah. And that's, and, and that's just, that's a poor scientific view of potentially. So the, the way I like to look at those studies is like, okay, let's look, you know, was there a, a subfraction of those, those, those individuals who given ivermectin 20%, let's say, who seemed like they had a personal effect on that. What can we learn from those people? Well, they were all l- less than 40. And a lot of times they do those analyses, but sometimes not. Hmm. That's what these para studies that I, with the five versus two or three times a week did. Like they went back and analyzed their own data very smartly. Mm-hmm. So that's what I wonder, you know, and I haven't dug in on those. I've been busy doing other, digging in other rabbit holes in the German thing, but that's the thing that a smart physician would do. And a smart scientist does is like, okay, you know, we didn't get any effect here. It doesn't mean it's a dead end. Let's see what else. Let's see. Let's dig a little deeper into our data and see what maybe we can uncover and go, go to the next step with. Yeah. And yeah, that's what you're not going to get from reading a news story. Ivermectin doesn't work. You know? <laughs> right, that's exactly right. Yeah, for sure. So doc, appreciate you, man. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise. Let's, guys. Let's stay inside. And the rest of your day. Good luck with your moving. That sounds like oh. a lot of not fun. I hate moving, <laughs> but yeah, uh, hopefully you're moving into a good situation. Dude. Yeah. I've got, I'm going to have a, a giant barn. Oh, 1700 wow, nice. square feet no kidding yeah yeah gym time yep. baby i'm gonna build Uh-oh. a gym nice yeah another austin so south guys... situation going on yep. nice. yeah yeah <laughs> exactly what i thought about actually yep. yeah <laughs> i imagine it'll be just like because it's just going to be dirty and nasty and you know, like kind of like he's got there uh-huh <laughs> i can't even ask him have to ask him what he's got because i've got a good setup but i've got a couple machines in mind so yeah i'm looking for it once I get down, then I can start doing it. It'll be worth it. You know, Absolutely. it'll just be a while. Right. I'll be, so. uh, be looking forward to the next time we talk, see if you got that uh, that barn gym going. <laughs> okay. Maybe the, I mean, something, something to talk about. You guys are welcome. Come down, too. That'd be, be awesome. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> Take it <laughs> easy, sir. Get out of the Illinois cold. See you guys. Yeah.